0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Just uh, while, while people are getting settled, here's a couple of excerpts from, uh, from the New Earth, what people are getting. At the heart of the new consciousness lies the transcendence of thought, of realizing a dimension within yourself that is infinitely more vast than thought. You no longer derive your identity, your sense of who you are, from the incessant stream of thinking that in the old consciousness, you take to be yourself. What a liberation to realize the voice in my head is not who I am. Who am I then? The one who sees that. The awareness that is prior to thought the space in which the thought or emotion or sense perception happens. When you don't cover up the world with words and labels, a sense of the miraculous returns to your life. For this to happen, you need to disentangle your sense of I, of beingness, from all the things it has been become mixed up with, that is to say, identified with. This Disentanglement is what this book is about, and to some extent, that's what uh, this talk is about too. Uh, there's some space if you want to move, yeah. okay. and, and over here, there's some space if you're if you want to move up a couple of spots. Um, So, the title of this talk is, I Know I'm Stuck, But I Still Can't Get Out. You ever feel that? You ever been there? Isn't that the strangest feeling? I mean, especially if you've been doing meditation practice or spiritual practice and you have, to some extent, understood the mind and um, think you've got enough space so that um, you're certainly better than you were, better off than you were when you started and but um there's actually a a, a price to pay for starting to wake up, and that is you see. All the more clearly how you get caught, and it's humbling. Sometimes we think, "I would have been better off before this because you know I didn't know any better, but now I know, and I'm still getting lost." This is frustrating. Sometimes it's more than frustrating. Sometimes it's really painful. Um, and what initially brought this uh, topic to my mind it's funny sometimes it happens where something kind of starts the the process and then there's these different similar messages that line up and uh, and a topic becomes more obvious it kind of presents itself, uh, which happened with this last week. Um, but what started it was, uh, as many of you know, I'm, I'm doing this joy course, uh, awakening joy, which just finished its first month and starting a second month. And the first month, the um, the theme, the monthly practice was uh, getting clear on your intention to awaken joy or open to more well-being, and inclining the mind that way. Not only getting clear on your overall aspiration, but to incline your mind through the day to see if you can, whatever you're doing, whether it's the laundry or uh, or your work or your relationship, to reflect on what will enhance a feeling of well-being. Uh, what can, what thought can I have that will open up to more well-being at this time? Because we can get into automatic routine um, habits and kind of sometimes feel we're just getting through or it's drudgery or we get stuck or life happens basically, and so just to incline the mind to be open to that, not to grasp not to not to try to make anything happen, but just to be open to that, and uh, somebody. Uh, wrote me, who obviously has been doing some practice, uh, who actually now lives in Japan. Um, he is doing it from Japan. He wrote, Why do I sabotage my own efforts towards happiness? When I notice myself feeling happy or joyful in the midst of some activity, almost simultaneously there arise memories and feelings of failure and worthlessness, which send the message, you don't deserve happiness, success, in awakening joy. It takes real effort to disregard these nagging negative thoughts, which for now at least form an almost constant day-long backdrop to my ongoing efforts to awaken joy. I need to get on my own side totally in this endeavor. But how? Why do these voices want me to fail, and how can I silence them? So it just um, beautifully art or um, poignantly articulates the predicament that so many people find themselves in i know I knew this one from my own experience very well
1: <clears throat>
0: and sometimes when we're inclining our mind either towards well-being or towards loving-kindness or towards any wholesome states. If you've ever, ever done any loving-kindness practice, metta practice, intensively on retreat, then you probably um, know the phenomenon of, at- of the purification process. May you are saying, may I be happy may I be peaceful. And there's another part of you going, yeah, right, not in this lifetime. You know, you know. May, you, may you be filled with, with peace. May you be filled, filled with love. May I not wring your neck because I'm so annoyed with you. you know, and those other kinds of thoughts come up. It's very humbling. Or, as I've mentioned before on the first time I did an intensive loving kindness practice Retreat all these old memories of really unskillful stuff coming in one after another just like, oh, I can't believe I did that. I can't, what an awful person I am. That's a natural part of the process. It's not that you're doing anything wrong, but if you're willing to open up not only to the wholesome states, when you open up to the wholesome states, when you open yourself up to allow for it all, then you'll see everything else that gets in the way. So, as he said, and uh, there were a few other comments like that as well uh, that that were addressed to me, Um, this is confusing But it's quite natural. Because a lifetime of habits don't disappear instantly. You know, it would be great if you just said, okay, now I see it. Oh, right thought? Light thoughts make you feel better? Heavy thoughts are a drag? I'll just only have light, light thoughts. Okay, let's get... No more heavy thoughts. Good luck. And so you have to both respect the fact that this is not an instant overnight transformation and also hold it in a way that it doesn't become that much more frustrating. Hmm. The the word that really gets us into trouble, why? Why do these thoughts, why do these voices want me to fail? Now, you can say that in a couple of different ways. You can say, why do these voices want me to fail? As we commonly would with frustration, with amazement, with aversion, or you can go a little bit deeper and ask, you know, why Why does this happen? And in that asking, not with a, a frustration, but with a spirit of inquiry, maybe there's, uh, there's some more possibilities to relate to it wisely. Hmm. Besides the why, then there's the, the bargaining that can come through if you've done some practice. You know, Well, I know I've had this experience before and when I was mindful one time, I just watched it and it was amazing. It, it went away. So, aha, I'm just going to be mindful. I'm just going to be mindful and then maybe then it'll go away. Okay, freaking out, freaking out, freaking out. Come on, still freaking out. Come on. come on, come on, come on. Or, I know, mindfulness isn't here. Compassion is maybe here. I'll just be compassionate. I'll just hold it. Oh, yes. You're really doing it so sincerely. Okay, let's bring some compassion to it. Come on, Kuan Yin. Come on, everybody. Let's get, let's get going. Let's hold this with so much compassion that it just dissolves it and gets rid of it. Come on. Oh, I need more compassion. This will get you really twisted up and, and that much more enmeshed. Last week, um, if you were here, how many people were here last week? It was great. Uh, we had this wonderful Rinpoche, Anna Rinpoche, uh, who was here, who wrote this book, um, which is right now out of print. They have to make more because I think it's going to be very popular. Uh, the title of the book is No Self, No Problem. And, uh, and he. Um, can everybody hear us? This okay? And he um, he was talking about the ego as um, what do you call it? The self terminator was that the uh, you know the self terminator you know I'll get rid of my ego you know I'll be a good practitioner and I will do it I'll get rid of my ego. It's so slippery. Here's the deal. You cannot watch your own funeral. You ca- you can't be around to watch the death of your ego. You can't say, "Okay, I think you're going. I think we got this one licked." Huh? There's an awful lot of I in there that just, you know, slips in. You cannot be the self-terminator and Set yourself up for a pass-fail test. I will do it. So it's a, it's a very basic predicament that we all share. There's a saying in, in India. It's one of my favorite little pithy sayings. Even a 93-year-old saint isn't safe. Even a 93-year-old saint... Practicing for decades and decades it's just one thought away hey i'm a 93 year old saint it's just one thought away and when you think of how many roshis and and uh, and, and masters and you know wise religious figures have gotten caught and seen some falling off a pedestal. It's not that they didn't have the wisdom. The wisdom comes through when we're not in the way. So the wisdom that would come through is deep, true wisdom. But the ego can coagulate in just a moment, and that wisdom is obstructed once again. Even a 93-year-old saint isn't safe. And I thought tonight, part of what I do in this... This talk is share a little bit about uh, the Buddha and the Buddhas mm, working with this predicament. I've mentioned this from time to time, but I thought I'd read a couple of passages. Uh, as you may or may not know, in in uh, in Theravadan Buddhism, there is this um, figure, Mara, M-A-R-A, which is the... Um, Embodiment of temptation, confusion, um, evil, someone would say, you know Mara the evil one, and whether you take it literally or metaphorically, uh, this is a, a figure that this is the figure that visited the Buddha before he was enlightened and tried to tempt him and tried to frighten him and tried to throw doubt at him. Finally the the last the last thing after he was uh, after he had tried to frighten and, and tempt him the, the Mara said, you know, what gives you the right? What makes you think you have the right to become enlightened? Doubt is the final was the final one. And then the Buddha puts his hand down as you might know. Let's see. In the gesture of um, touching the earth, as the earth is my witness to all the countless lifetimes of work that I've done, I have a right to be enlightened, to be completely liberated, and then Mara leaves. But that's not the last encounter the Buddha has with Mara. In fact, after the Buddha is enlightened, at least in the Pali canon, there are numerous exchanges between the Buddha and Mara. And I thought I'd read a few tonight, just so it's not just a throwaway line. Oh yeah, the Buddha would, would uh, be visited by Mara. Here's a few of them. Okay. So this is interesting. Try to wrap your mind around that. There you are. Or there he is, a fully enlightened being, completely awakened. And Mara, the embodiment of confusion comes to tempt him. Comes to try to knock him off his pedestal. Mm. Here's one. Mm. i read a few. While the Blessed One was alone in seclusion, a reflection arose in his mind. I am indeed freed from that grueling asceticism. This is after he was enlightened. Maybe I'll just uh, read a little bit more. Uh, On one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling at Uravula on the bank of the river Narajara at the foot of Goatherd's banyan tree just after he had become fully enlightened. Okay, so this is fresh, sparkling fresh. Yeah, wow, that feels good. Um, I hope this is not blasphemous or anything. Then, while he was alone in seclusion, a reflection arose in his mind. I am indeed freed of, from that grueling asceticism. You know, he had tortured himself and, and practically starved himself for six years. And uh, he'd go in to bathe in the river and could barely get out because he was so, so weak. Finally, I'm freed of that grueling asceticism. It is, in, it is good indeed that I'm freed from that useless Asceticism. It is good that steady and mindful I have enta- attained enlightenment. Then Mara, the evil one, having known with his mind the reflection in the Buddha's mind, approached the blessed one and addressed him in verse. Having deviated from the austere practice by which men purify themselves, being impure, you think you're pure? You've missed the path to purity." After he's enlightened, you know. Then the Buddha, the Blessed One, having understood, this is Mara, this is Mara, the evil one, replied to him in verses having known as useless any austerity aimed at the immortal state, that all such penances are futile, like oars and rudder on dry land, by developing the path to enlightenment, virtue, concentration, and wisdom, I have attained supreme purity. You're defeated, end maker. Then Mara, the evil one, realizing the blessed one knows me, the fortunate one knows me. Sad and disappointed, disappeared right there. Okay, so that's the first of these. is about 25 pages of these encounters that the Buddha had with Mara after his enlightenment. This is in the um, the Samyutta Nikaya collection of connected discourses. I'll just read a few more. Maybe you can relate to it. Mm -hmm. Buddha was dwelling at Rajgaha. Uh, Then when the night was fading, the, the Blessed One, having spent much of the night walking back and forth in the open, doing walking meditation, one would presume, washed his feet, entered his dwelling, and lay down on his right side in the lion's posture with one leg overlapping the other, mindful and clearly comprehending, having attended to the idea of rising. Then Mara, the evil one, approached the blessed one and addressed him in verse. What? You sleep? Why do you sleep? What's this? You sleep like a wretch. Thinking that hut's empty... You sleep. What's this? You sleep when the sun has risen. And the Buddha answers: Within him, craving no longer lurks, entangling and binding to lead him anywhere. With all the, destru- with the destruction of all acquisitions, the awakened one sleeps. Why should this concern you, Mara? Then Mara disappeared right there. Okay. You ever have that feeling of either of those first two? You know, I'm not doing enough. Come on, let's get on with my enlightenment. I've gotta you know, oh, now I'm being really lazy. Oh, look at me, I'm just uh you know, resting and taking it easy. I should be signing up for my next three month retreat or, you know. <laughs> Here's another one to show the humanity also. On this occasion, the Blessed One's foot had been cut by a stone splinter. Severe pains assailed the Blessed One. Bodily feelings that were painful, racking, sharp, piercing, harrowing, disagreeable. But the Buddha endured them, mindful and clearly comprehending without becoming distressed, etc., etc., then, and he lay down on his side. Then Mar, the evil one, approached him and addressed in verse Do you lie down in a daze or drunk on poetry? Don't you have sufficient goals to meet alone in a secluded lodging? Why do you sleep with a drowsy face? Pretty much the same exchange. So there's another one. I, I wanted to share that with you because you might think, you know, why is this body not cooperating? Why? What am I doing wrong? You know, I must have had terrible karma or done some awful things for my body to be hurting so. Bodies hurt. Even the Buddha could be racked with pain and piercing, throbbing, severe pains. It's just the body doing its thing. One last one I'll read. On this occasion, Mara had been following the Blessed One for seven years. So this is not like, you know, a week or two after he was enlightened or maybe a few months later. Seven years later, seeking to gain access to him but without success. Then Mara approached the Blessed One and addressed him in verse, Is it because you are sunk in sorrow that you meditate in the woods? Because you've lost wealth or pine for it, or committed some crime in the village, why don't you make friends with people? Why don't you form any intimate ties? Isn't that interesting? You know, what's with you? Are you some kind of a loser that you that you that you can't you can't have any meaningful relationships? You know? Seven years after at least, according to this, the Pali canon, the Buddha answers, having dug up entirely the root of sorrow, guiltless, I meditate, free from sorrow, having cut off all greedy urge for existence, I meditate taintless, o kinsman of the negligent, no, just leave it there twenty pages of that, okay, so. If Mara comes to visit you in whatever form it takes for you, um, I hope you cut yourself a little slack because this is what the mind can do. Lots of different ways we get stuck. We can get stuck and realize we're stuck right in the middle of behaviors that we've been trying so sincerely, so dedicatedly to change, whether it's addictive behaviors, whether it's consumption, whether it's just getting sucked into, I have this, for me, my computer is my black hole. You know if i 'm trying to get something done today i, I started a new a new mode I'm, I brought my computer up where it 's not hooked into the internet and uh, I never i hadn't thought about this before because I need to use the computer for some stuff, but there it is. I just touched that little oh, you know, and there. There I am, just caught. And I know if I go there, you know, 20, 30 minutes, will go by like that. And nothing to make time fly like being lost in email or hyperlinks. Right? So I know, but I get caught. Popcorn is, is, is another one big for me. Don't put me near any popcorn. I'm in trouble. Um, but whatever it is, you know those are the those are the the light ones, you know well, we can get stuck in our speech. We have an intention to have this really good healing with our partner or our coworker who keeps on pressing our buttons and say, okay, I am going to use this as practice now. I think I've got it licked. And before we know it, we're back in our roles and we're saying things that we regret once again. Or we get caught, probably more than anything, in the speech that we address to ourselves, our self-talk. That's... That's the real hard one. Because there we are, not only getting caught in whatever way we find ourselves outside, but then we add that second dart that the Buddha talks about over and over. I can't believe I'm caught again. And that's the painful one. So I just want to ask before we go on for you to make this a bit more personal and reflect in your own life, the ways that you get stuck and then what happens when you realize that you're stuck? It can go a couple of different ways. Maybe sometimes you realize you're stuck and you really understand it. What's going on there? And then there's other times that you're stuck and even though you see it, even though you know it, even though it's so obvious that it's your mind playing tricks on you, you still can't get out. What's going on there? Before I say any more, just want to get if there's any people who are willing to talk about about the uh, the last one. What goes on when you get stuck and you and you can't seem to get out, even though you know better? Anything that you feel like sharing. And remember, although it, it's a kind of on one level a personal sharing, it's also you're speaking for all of us because it's. It's the same mind, just variations of the, of the theme. Any, anything that you observe? Uh, what happens to get you stuck so that you, you can't seem to get out? Or what, what conditions um, create that sense of no exit? Yeah, Claudia. Claudia.
2: Right, um, it's just I'm not going to elaborate on any specific situation, but it's attachment. It's you get attached and it's wherever it brings you, whether it's sadness or you know yearning or whatever, it's being attached and
0: mm-hmm. okay, the old second noble truth attachment yeah, yeah. Dennis, right yeah. No close.
1: I have had the question recently. I have had the question recently, why is this so difficult? It's different. I think it's a different take in what you're saying here, but it's the same result, the same end. Why is this so difficult? So, I catch my mind going off and I try to bring it back. I'm walking my dog, trying to do walking meditation, being present. Whoop, There goes the mind. Whoa, I don't know where I... I didn't see the last 100 yards. What happened? Okay, treat it like a puppy dog. Bring it back. Okay. And I get and I keep telling myself uh trying to treat the mind kindly and gently. I want to just scold the heck out of it to bring it back and it just keeps going. So I imagine it's a process, not an event. And I imagine that it's the accumulated compression or the layers on the onion that I'm trying to peel off one at a time mm-hmm. that is going to take some time. Okay. And so I've even come up with a couple of solutions. I call it melting mind. You have to, you have to be, af- can't be afraid of losing your mind to do this in my opinion, but create a little orange warm lava space in my head where my mind is and let it melt into my body Great. and it clears my head
0: so that that's that's a skillful dealing where you get some space in your mind and you realize it's going to take time yeah thank you any others that anyone else that how you find you yourself, yourself getting caught or what goes on when you get caught Yeah, janet
2: I think part of the reason I get caught is it's just so familiar. You know, it's just like, well, of course I'm here again. You know, where else could I be? Mm-hmm. And because it's so familiar, I don't, I don't even recognize that it's Mara. I mean, it's just like this where my mind goes. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is home. This is, this is how my mind is. This is the way it works. Yeah, right. Okay, uh, I think we'll, we'll just go on now. I think, uh, just seeing as time is going on, I'll I'll share some... Well, no, before that. uh, Maybe uh, from you. I'd like to hear, like Dennis said, he creates some space in the mind. What When you are really seeing it clearly or when you are somehow seeing that you're stuck and there's wisdom that unsticks you? What goes on there? Or what are your triggers? What are the ways that you find another way to hold the experience? Or other ways to deal with a particular situation? Yeah.
2: Go ahead. What's your name again? My name is Angela. Angela. Um, sometimes when We're I feel close, yeah. Sometimes when I experience stuckness, uh, it usually happens um, when I receive some sort of a shock, and then I fall back on old patterns of being or thinking, and uh, I feel really frustrated with myself because I know that I've been through this before and overcome it, and I can't believe I'm so stupid as to fall back into that. Mm-hmm. And then I try to stop and I say, "Well, who's calling who stupid?" who is the person who is calling you know I'm calling myself I'm calling myself stupid and it doesn't make any sense Uh, the voice that is calling me stupid is not big me it's a small part of me it's Mm. an echo from the past that Mm. comes from that earlier experience Mm -hmm. and once I realize that big me can't be calling me stupid it's like everything relaxes a little bit, mm-hmm. and then I feel a lot more compassion and space. Mm-hmm.
0: Beautiful. Well, you you just uh, hit upon one of the things that I was going to say that I, I do want to share, which is uh, really the. It was that similar question that woke Eckhart Tolle up. If you're, if you haven't read The Power of Now, he was near suicide when he was 29. He was. Was really really bad. He said, it got so bad. I'll just read a little bit of this. The most loathsome thing of all was my own existence. Everything else was loathsome in the world around him. What was was the point in continuing to live with this burden of misery? Why carry on this continuous struggle? I could feel that a deep longing for annihilation, for non-existence, was now becoming much stronger than the instinctive desire to continue to live. I cannot live with myself any longer. This was the thought that kept repeating itself in my mind. I cannot live with myself any longer. Then suddenly, I became aware of what a peculiar thought it was. Am I one or two? If I cannot live with myself, there must be two of me, the I and the self that I cannot live with. Maybe I thought only one of them is real. I was so stunned by this strange realization that my mind stopped. I was fully conscious, but there were no more thoughts Then I felt drawn into what seemed like a vortex of energy. It was a slow movement at first, and then accelerated. I was gripped by an intense fear, and my body started to shake. I heard the words, resist nothing, as if spoken inside my chest. I could feel myself being sucked into a void. It felt as if the void was inside myself rather than outside. Suddenly, there was no more fear. And I let myself fall into that void. I have no recollection of what happened after that. And when he awoke, he never went back to sleep in some ways. And then it took him a a little while to figure out what happened. For the next five months, I lived in a state of uninterrupted deep peace and bliss. After that, it diminished somewhat in intensity, or perhaps it just seemed to because... It became my natural state. So this is one, just as you say, Angela, I can't, when you have that thought, I can't stand myself any longer. Who is it that's not standing yourself? It's like you become the awareness that seeing this yucky self as soon as you're the awareness that sees, then that whole self-coagulation is revealed. But it's unusual to stay there. That's the extraordinary thing. Why that happened to him happened to Ramana Maharshi when he was 17. And just He went through this intense fear thought he was dying, he said, I'm going to explore death, and then he thought he was dying and had this intense fear that catapulted him into an awakened state that never left. That's not usual. But to have that experience, once you get a glimpse of it, even if it's a glimpse, to know, oh, there's an awareness that can see this whole awful morass of confusion. Being the awareness is one way, one way out. And so more and more as you become familiar with that space, it's something to just cultivate, oh, what is it like, you know, there you are. That's why when we, do the, when we have mindfulness practice with strong emotions, it's like exploring the emotion with real curiosity. Oh, what does terror feel like? What does sadness feel like? What does anger, rage feel like? Because in the, in the investigation of that, that's simply curious that's not battling that's just saying oh let's check this out you're not you're not adding on that layer of wishing it would go and there's simply the awareness that's exploring the landscape of it and so you become the awareness that that dance of contraction and confusion is operating in ah and the awareness I'm not that fear so That's a very high level. I'll mention a few others. First is, when you realize that you're stuck and you can't get out, instead of it feeling like some kind of major problem, this is actually a very good thing. Because until you realize it, you are doomed to be repeating it. Joseph Goldstein, my teacher, probably a teacher of a number of people here, says this line, he says, the not seeing of dukkha suffering. The not seeing of dukkha is dukkha. If you can see there's dukkha, as painful as it is, there is the possibility of transformation. Pema says also something like that. She says, delight in that which sees, the dukkha. It's very similar to that awareness. Delight in the fact that there's something in you that can see and understand oh, this is dukkha. This is unsatisfactoriness. This is pain. Another way that we create some kind of protection, particularly with behaviors that get us stuck, as the Buddha recommended, is having a container of integrity. is having uh, at least some commitment to living in a non-harming way. And those, the, the five precepts, not killing, not stealing, not um, creating suffering through sexuality, not creating suffering through our speech or through substances. That's a kind of protection from at least the behavioral confusion. It won't necessarily clear up the mind, but the impact when your body has done something that's caused harm and suffering is, is that much more powerful. So to have that protection, to have a kind of discipline whether it's meditating or doing something on a very regular basis for yourself that, um, that is good for yourself. There's, it's like you're going towards wholesomeness, you're going towards health. Obviously, another one, which I kind of alluded to in the beginning, but can be done with a whole other attitude, is having compassion and having patience for what you're up against. It's not, okay, let's bring on the compassion so we can get rid of things. But seeing how deep the conditioning has been. If you saw a little boy or a little girl giving herself or himself a hard time, trying to do the best they could, and just being wound up more and more tight, beating herself or himself up. How would you feel? Your heart would go out to them, wouldn't it? There's just a little boy or a little girl right inside of us, and what he or she needs is tenderness, is kindness, is an attitude that says, it's okay, dear. You're okay. You just got caught. And this will take a while, as as was said before. We can take refuge in the Dharma, even when we think, oh my goodness, I'm never going to get out of this. Never going to get out. For me, refuge in the Dharma is a kind of surrender that says, life is giving me what I need right now to wake up. It's saying, okay, you want to move out of your comfort zone. You want to deal with confusion or fear. You want to develop yourself enough so that you can be of service to others. You've got to be willing to see the whole show of humanity. And in that, this moment is giving you just what you need. Because when you get caught, ah, this is my forward edge. And so that surrender to the Dharma, it's not throwing in the towel, that's just saying, okay, this moment, how can I use this for my transformation? How can I use this to wake up a bit? That, then you've got the Dharma on your side rather than it being a source of frustration. I, I remember Trungpa Rinpoche saying, if there's a conflict between you and the Dharma, Chances are the problem doesn't lie with the Dharma, but we can blame the Dharma. It's like, you know, God damn it, you know, I'm, I'm not meditating enough, I'm just, I'm not pure enough, I'm not, you know, I'm just doing all these unskillful things, you know. The, the Dharma becomes this great oppressor and you've lost your great friend, your greatest ally your connection to the truth. But if you can take refuge in the Dharma and say, life is giving me what I need right now, then you get back in harmony with it. It's one other thing that I've been playing around with lately that I would suggest when it seems like the Dharma is kind of out there and and inaccessible and you're all alone and there's no way You can get out. I'm stuck and I still can't get out. And this is, rather than thinking you can catapult yourself out of that confusion into a purified space, to go for any, the slightest thought that inclines the mind Towards well being. For instance, this will take time. Okay. Or, you're not alone in this. Or, it's really hard now, but I've gone through this before. Or, Life is pretty hard right now, but there's so many blessings. Any slight move from the contracted mind that can't create any space, the slightest thought towards openness or expansion or well-being. and It doesn't have to be some huge lofty goal. Just anything in the field that you can think of that shifts that implosion that stops it enough that it just says okay even I surrender or God, you're trying so hard it's okay. Any, the smallest and then it's a very effective thing because the smallest little shift from contraction to openness without grasping for the full big E of enlightenment. you know, But just a movement invites a different kind of openness and energy. So, um, know that you're not alone. And know that how you work with this is really your gift to everybody in the world. Because the more you learn how to work skillfully with it, kindly, patiently, with compassion, the more you can really be there for others when they're in that place. Oh, I know what that's like. So you're doing this as your bodhisattva practice. It'll take time, but when you think of the alternative, more greed, hatred, and delusion more confusion, fear, contraction. You know. What else is there to do? Right? In the moment that you're mindful, this is the, the final one, in the moment that you're mindful and you just come back to this moment, oh, freaking out. You know, or oh, breathing. That's a good way also to, to stop the contraction. Oh, feet on the ground. Oh, I'm alive. In that moment, there's the refuge that that the Dharma has to offer us. So, sorry, not much time for more discussion, but let's end with a short loving kindness. Just feel your heart center. Breathe in through the heart center and allow that area to soften. Breathe in benevolent energy from around you. Doing some loving kindness is a, a wonderful way to also interrupt the contraction and confusion. And fill your whole being with it. and breathe out surround yourself with that benevolent energy and uh, reflect on some something about yourself that you really appreciate as a way to access kind thoughts of well-wishing. May I see clearly through my confusions. May I open to all the love that's inside and share it well. May I feel the peace that's inside. May I remember my true nature, realize it fully. And then extending these thoughts out to everyone here, and everyone in your life, and to all beings everywhere. As I want to be happy, may all beings be happy. As I want peace, may all beings have peace in their lives. as i want love may all feel their love and share it well may all awaken to their true nature and may our coming here together have a rippling effect and be of benefit to all beings everywhere may all beings be happy and peaceful and free. Thank you very much. Have a great week.